Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. You, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. I'm watching everybody turn to their Bibles. So, we as elders have struggled over the past few years with a looming question. Every time we meet in elders' meetings and every time we're together, we've had these discussions. And we've had some long discussions. We've had some times of prayer, Bible study to find the answer. And here's the question. This goes back even before COVID. We've been wrestling with this. And and here's the question that we as your elders have been asking ourselves. As the spiritual leaders of this church, here's the question. Are we encouraging and equipping, those, those are two key words, are we encouraging and equipping everyone connected to Emmanuel to grow deeper in their faith? Are we doing a good job at that? Are we equipping and encouraging you to grow deeper in your faith? And we've really wrestled with this question, so let me make it very personal to you this morning as you're sitting here and you've come into church. As one connected to Emmanuel, you call Emmanuel your home. Whether you're a member or not, this is your church home. Let me ask you the question. Do you think you have personally been encouraged and equipped to grow deeper in your faith? Let me ask it a little bit differently. Do you know what that looks like? Do you know how to participate in this process of growth? Do you know what you're supposed to be doing? Is it clearly laid out for you in a process? Is there a clear-cut pathway that explains what you're supposed to do to grow? And I've prayed over this for the past probably a lot of years And then over the past six months, we as the elders have have wrestled, we've discussed, we've prayed, we've thought. This past summer, we invited the deacons and other church leaders into this process. And so we feel confident this morning that we're unified and ready to explain and announce and unfold to you what we're calling the discipleship pathway, the discipleship pathway at Emmanuel. Now, this is going to be a lot of information you're going to be taking in this morning, and I don't expect you to get it all. We're going to be explaining this over the next four weeks in this sermon series. We're going to be unpacking it, explaining it. But before we do that, before we kind of get into the pathway, let's just back up and ask a very foundational question. What is our ultimate task, our ultimate purpose as a church? Well, it goes to the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Jesus tells us this. It's the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples. That's the key verb in that passage of Scripture. Make disciples of all the nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Our primary task as a church is to make disciples. It's non-negotiable. Jesus commanded it. It's from him. It's the Great Commission. It should be the forefront of who we are as a church. And there's a lot of confusion over this topic of disciple-making. What is discipleship? If you've been around church a lot, you, you kind of hear this as a buzzword that's thrown around. Disciple-making, discipleship. Well, what is it? What is disciple-making? What is discipleship? What exactly is a disciple of Jesus? How do you make disciples? How do you know if you're making disciples faithfully and effectively? How did the early church make disciples? Well, over the next four weeks, our central passage of Scripture that we're going to keep coming back to is Acts chapter 2, where we see the early church in action and what they did to make disciples. So our model as a church is to look at the Bible and say, what do we see front and center that the early church did in making disciples, and then how do we do that here at Emmanuel? So if you've got your Bibles, Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 41. Now this is after Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost. Peter preaches this bold message. And we're going to start in verse 41 and see the result of that message and then what the early church did. So Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 41. So those who received his word, that's Peter preaching, were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So 3,000 people got saved and baptized that day. And I want you to notice verse 42 starts with and. It's continuous And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together... And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now you see several practices that are done here that the early church does. The ministry of the word is front and central. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. So the preaching and teaching of God's Word. You also see corporate worship, where they gathered together in the temple courts for worship. You also see baptism and Lord's Supper. 3,000 were baptized. The breaking of bread, they were celebrating baptism and the Lord's Supper together corporately in worship. You also see prayer. They were praying. You also see fellowship, and especially in smaller groups. They were meeting in homes. So they were meeting together in the temple courts, large group, and they were meeting in smaller groups in homes. They were fellowshipping with one another. And then you see their meeting needs. They're serving one another. Their generosity is evident. And then you also see evangelism. Day by day, God was adding to their number those who were being saved. So this is a picture of what the early church was doing. 
Preaching, teaching, prayer, fellowship, evangelism, worship, serving, all these things coming together. And as you continue through the book of Acts, you find out that Paul continues to do this when he goes on these church planning missionary journeys. So at the end of his first missionary journey, there's a report about what Paul did on that missionary journey. So go just a little bit further in your Bible to Acts chapter 14. So Paul gets saved on the road to Damascus, chapter 9. Chapter 13, they start the missionary journey, the first one. Then you get to chapter 14, and there's a summary statement about what Paul and Barnabas did on that missionary journey. And it's very similar to what the early church did in their worshiping practices as that community of believers. So Acts chapter 14, verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples. There you have it. They made many disciples. How did that happen? Well, it happened through the preaching of the gospel. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. And this is part of what they were doing, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now you see a lot of the similar practices here, but you see one additional practice. They appointed elders. They appointed spiritual leaders. So you've got a picture here of what the early church was doing. Preaching, teaching, fellowshipping, prayer, large gatherings, smaller groups and homes, sharing, meeting needs, evangelism, and then having godly spiritual leadership. That was what a healthy church looked like in the book of Acts. And then my ministry verse that I have laid claim to all the way back in the early 2000s when I was starting out as a, as a young youth pastor, what I believe my task is as the pastor of this church and what our task is as leaders is Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Him we proclaim, that's talking about Jesus. Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, and here's the key, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. That is the goal of Emmanuel Baptist Church, to present every single one of you that's connected to this church mature. Mature and growing in Christ. 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace of and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So, so Jesus tells us some things here in the Bible. We're to make disciples. We're to practice these things that the early church did. We're to present everyone mature in Christ. We're to grow deeper in our faith. These are non-negotiable things that God has given to His church for us to accomplish. And so here's the problem. Not a problem, but the, the predicament. We want to be a faithful church. We want to be an obedient church. So here's the question. How? Here's the question. How? We know we're supposed to do it. The issue is how. How do we foster? How do we facilitate? How do we encourage disciple-making at Emmanuel? Because it's not going to happen by osmosis. 
It's not going to happen automatically. It has to be facilitated. It has to be encouraged. It has to be fostered. Something that we have to lead you, shepherd you in this process. How does it happen? Well, this is what we've been praying over the years and especially over the past few months. And so what we believe God is leading us to do is to implement what we're calling the discipleship pathway. The discipleship pathway as a biblical model of how to help people grow. So what I want you to do is in your bulletin, you will find, and you may have seen this as you came in, this is an infographic or a graphic or whatever. I want you to pull this out and look at this. This is the pathway. You may have seen it on a poster when you came in. The discipleship pathway. Now, I don't expect you to grasp all of this this morning, but you will see this as a pathway. I want you to notice that it's not linear. It's circular, which means people enter the pathway at different spots. You may enter the pathway in different areas, but here's the question that you've got to be asking yourself, and this is a question that you're going to be hearing over and over again. Where are you on the pathway, and what's your next step that you need to take to move along? And so the very first part of the pathway is worship biblically. That's at the top, worship biblically. That's what you're doing right here. This is, the, this is where really the pathway starts because this is the entry point to Emmanuel Baptist Church. This is where the most people enter into the life of our church on a Sunday morning worship service. This is where unsaved people usually get connected to the life of our church in the worship service. So worship biblically, and that's what we're going to talk about today. What does it mean to worship biblically? Okay, the next step on the pathway is this, connect relationally. Connect, I'm not sure why that's up there. (laughs) Connect relationally. So this is the next step. This is mainly saying I'm going to make the decision to move out of the worship service and my step is to connect relationally to a growth group, to a smaller group. And next week, Pastor Dustin is going to be preaching on what it means to connect relationally. And he's very excited about this and I'm excited to hear what God has laid upon his heart. So Worship biblically to connect relationally. And then the next step on the pathway is grow intentionally. This is where you take it a little bit deeper. This is where it's not just, okay, worship service participation, small group participation. Now you're in a a smaller group. We're calling it a D group, a discipleship group of about four to five or three to four people, gender specific, men with men, women with women, where there's a little bit more accountability. There's more growth. There's more equipping. There's more encouraging. This is where you get equipped. You grow intentionally. And then the last part of the pathway is serve generously. This is where leaders emerge, where we're raising up leaders. This is where people begin serving in areas of ministry. This is where evangelism comes into play. And this is usually out of this is where people start coming to the worship service because you're inviting your friends and people are getting saved. So it is a circular, not linear process that moves people, and and it takes into consideration everybody in the church. Everybody in the church, you're somewhere on that pathway. Whether you're not even a believer yet and you haven't come to Christ or you're a committed believer, everybody in this church, in this room, can say within their heart of hearts, I need to take a new step to grow in my faith. So what we want to do is we want to help you visually see how that works 
provide for you a pathway, an on-ramp, a place for you to know how you can grow. So here's the question that you need to start asking for yourself. And again, there's a lot of information this morning. I don't expect you to get it all. Here's the question that we will be asking you over the next few weeks. Where are you on the pathway? And then what next step do you need to take to grow? Where are you on the pathway and where do you need to grow? What's that next step? We're not asking you to make a bunch of different steps. We're just saying, where am I on the pathway and can I make one step to grow? One step to get to that spiritual growth that God has for me. So, over the next four weeks, we're going to be taking each of these apart and going more in depth. And so, we're starting, and this is where it should start, with worship biblically. Worship biblically. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. What does it mean to worship biblically? Now this may seem obvious, and we may even take it for granted, but I want, to clearly, I want us to clearly understand this important truth, okay? Here's the truth. God cares how we worship. We often think God wants us to worship God cares that we worship, but let me take it a step further. God cares how we worship. There is a specific way in which we are to worship God, worship biblically. God does care how we worship. And we hear the words of Jesus in John 4, 23-24. He's meeting the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, And Jesus says to her, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. So Jesus lays it out for us. We must worship God in spirit and in truth. Now what does that mean? Well, let's take both of those And look at them. What does it mean to worship in spirit? Well, it it can only be empowered by the Holy Spirit. You really, truly can't worship God unless you're indwelt, empowered, emboldened by the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit does is He produces within you these affections, this joy, this, um, I guess the best word I would say would be this heartfelt, sincere joy for Christ. It's a, it's a um, deep-felt, spirit-produced joy in your worship. Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. That, that you have this heartfelt passion. Maybe the word's passion. You have a passion from the Holy Spirit to worship the Lord. That's what it means to worship Him in spirit. But it also means we worship Him in truth. That is truth informed by the Scriptures. That means solid theology. That means not false teaching. Not making up in our minds what kind of God we want and then following our own imaginations. And so you worship in spirit and truth. Spirit, heartfelt, passion, devotion for Christ. Truth informed by the Scriptures, sound theology. And here's the fascinating thing about this passage of Scripture. God seeks these kind of worshipers. God is seeking worshipers. Now, we need to be very careful here. God is not seeking worshipers because somehow He needs worship. 
that God is desperately needing worship or God is somehow hoping that we worship him. No, get that, get that out of your mind. God is intrinsically holy and he's worthy of worship whether he ever created any human being whatsoever. So he's worthy of worship regardless of whether we worship him or not. But here's the thing. He's seeking those worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Now what would be the opposite of worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth? What would be the opposite of worshiping God in spirit? The opposite would be dead, lifeless, kind of going through the motions. I'm doing it because I have to do it. It's kind of a begrudging, I guess I better go to church today. I don't really feel like it. It's, it's more of a duty than a privilege. It's outward formality, but there's, you're kind of going through the motions outwardly, but there's no real change in your heart. That's, what it, that's the opposite of what it means to worship in spirit. Well, what's the opposite of worshiping in truth? It means you're worshiping in a way that's heretical or false. You're making up a God in your mind that you want to worship, and, or are you following false doctrine. It's not anything close to what the Bible says. So how do you know your worship's acceptable? How do you know you're worshiping biblically? You're worshiping in spirit and in truth. But you also must understand that God himself sets the agenda for how we worship. In other words, it's not a free-for-all when we come here on Sunday mornings. God regulates the elements of worship and how we are to approach him. We are regulated by Scripture alone to worship biblically. John Calvin said this, We must not mix in what seems good to us, but must observe what God requires, who alone has authority to command. God disapproves of all worship not expressly outlined in His Word. Our Confession of Faith, the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession in chapter 22 on worship says this, God may not be worshipped according to human imagination or inventions or the suggestions of Satan, nor through any visible representations, nor in any other way that is not prescribed in holy scriptures. I want you to think about a Broncos game, okay? Haven't played a regular season game yet. It's, it's Broncos game. And every, the offense is out on the field. And the um, offensive coordinator's calling his own plays, and Russell Wilson's doing his own thing, and the offensive line's doing their old thing, and the wide receivers are running routes that aren't anywhere close to what they're doing, and the running backs are doing their own thing, and the coach is on the sideline just basically fuming, and the referees have no idea what to do because everybody's doing their own thing. What would happen? Would you want to watch that? That would be mass chaos to watch a football game where everybody's doing their own thing. Now, when football's beautiful, is what? When everybody's doing what they're supposed to do. The offensive line is there providing protection. Russell Wilson steps back in the pocket. He throws a perfect spiral down the sidelines. Wide receiver catches it, strides, end zone, crowd goes crazy. It's a beautiful thing when everybody's doing what they're supposed to do. Why would we think worshiping God together on Sundays would be any different? We're not allowed to just do whatever we want to do. Let's consider an Old Testament example of what happened when people decided to worship God however they wanted to worship God. Leviticus 10, 1 through 3. Two boys with funny names. Don't ever name your kids Nadab and Abihu. I don't think anybody has here, but uh, maybe we need to talk after the service if that's what you're thinking about naming your upcoming child. Now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, 
Each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. They knew how God had prescribed to worship, and they didn't worship God in the way he had told them. They offered unauthorized fire, and God consumed them. Now, that's, that's a dramatic Old Testament example of what happens when you worship in the wrong way. You get killed. These were the priests back in the ancient Israelite time. But how about Ecclesiastes 5.1? Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they're doing is evil. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Do you guard your steps when you walk into the sanctuary? Are you ready to worship God? Is your heart prepared? Are you, are you ready to come in here in spirit and in truth, thinking about what you're actually doing, what we're doing here together when we're approaching our holy God? Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Now here's what biblical worship is not. Biblical worship is not self-centered, but it's God-centered. We don't come in here thinking about how's this going to feed me. We're God-centered. Biblical worship is not entertainment-based, but reverent and serious. You don't come in here thinking, how am I going to be entertained today? What, the, what are they going to do to entertain me? No, there's a reverence and a seriousness and a God-centeredness. And then biblical worship is not emotionally centered, but it also involves your, your mind. So it's not just sentimentality and emotionalism gone amok. It is focused on the truth of Scripture. So what does it mean to worship biblically? How has God regulated what we do? So, this may seem very simple to you this morning because we do it every Sunday. But let me explain to you what we do every Sunday when we worship biblically because we want to be a biblically faithful church. So here are the elements of what we do, whether you know it or not, every Sunday when you come in to this place. So here's the first thing we do. We gather every Sunday under the authority of the Bible. We gather every Sunday. And let me just say this to be on the record. If for some strange reason in the next few weeks you hear these rumors of shutdowns or COVID lockdowns, we're not doing it ever again. We're not doing it ever again. We gather every Sunday under the authority of the Bible. Hebrews 10, 24-25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Don't neglect to meet. It is a precious thing to meet every Sunday with your church family. You don't want to neglect it. You don't want to forsake it. You want to be encouraged by being here every Sunday if at all possible. Bill Gates had said this many years ago. 
He was quoted in a newspaper article. He said, quote, just in terms of allocation of time resources, religion is not very efficient. There's a lot more I could be doing on a Sunday morning. Like running Microsoft, I guess. That's Bill Gates. Now, this is where we have to be very careful because the culture does not help us in this area, especially when it comes to sports, when it comes to leisure. We are competing with youth sports that happen on Sunday mornings. And I know, parents, that's a hard battle and conversations you have to have, and I know it's a sticky subject, and I don't want to be over-legalistic about it, but as a, as a Christian, you need to make it a priority for you and for your family to gather together every Sunday, if at all possible, for the encouragement of being together under the authority of God's Word. So that's what we do. We gather every Sunday. So what should happen in a worship service? So let's walk through what we do. What, what have we already done here this morning? Well, the first thing we do when we walk in here is we glorify God as He calls us to worship. We start with what's called an invocation or a call to worship. What is the call to worship? The call to worship is when one of our deacons comes up and they read a scripture calling us to worship and then they pray. It's asking God to be here with us in the worship service. You think about Psalm 29, 1 through 2. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord the glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. God is calling us together every Sunday under His authority. A call to worship. We come together with the reading of God's word a call to worship. And this is what our call to worship was this morning from Psalm 100, verses 1 through 3. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who's made us. We are His. We're His people and the sheep of His pasture. Okay, what else do we do when we come here on Sunday mornings? We read the Bible. 1 Timothy 4.13 Until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Okay, here's what happens. Every Sunday, a deacon comes up here and reads a Scripture. Then an elder comes up here and reads a Scripture. And then I come up here and I read the Scripture. And then if you've noticed in my sermons, it's sprinkled with Scripture. So here's the point. When you leave an Emmanuel Baptist worship service, I want you to be saturated with Scripture. I want the Scripture to be what is informing what we're doing. Just the reading of Scripture. Why? Hebrews 4, 12-13. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him whom we must give an account. God's word is living and active. It will do something in your heart. Just the reading of scripture. Have you ever been in a worship service? I haven't got up to preach yet. And just the reading of the scripture has impacted your heart before I even got up to preach because it's God's word being read. So we read the Bible. Okay, what else do we do? We sing the Bible. Psalm 47, 6 through 7. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with the psalm. Sing praises. Ephesians 5, 18-21. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, do you want to know what it means to be Spirit-filled? It's barking like dogs and hanging from the chandeliers and all that crazy stuff, right? No, what does it say right here? Verse 19. Addressing one another 
and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, singing together. Colossians three sixteen through 17, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. How do we teach and admonish another in all wisdom? We do it by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now, singing the Bible. The musical aspect of our worship service may be a source of frustration, and let me tell you why. Because it is a musical preference and taste issue, and I understand that. I am not naive enough to think that every Sunday we are going to please every single one of your musical tastes every week. It's not going to happen. But let me just say this. Here's what's a loving, healthy family. A loving, healthy, mature, spiritual family is willing to sing songs you may not particularly care for because the focus is not on me and my personal taste. The focus is on God and His glory. So you may not personally like that song or like that style. And you can sit there and complain in your heart, I don't like this. Or you can say, you know what? The words to this are really glorifying. I may not sing it, but I'll think it in my heart. Or I'll mouth it. Or as somebody said earlier in the newcomer's class, my wife doesn't like me to sing. But that's all right. Make a joyful noise. I mean, sing praises. We care more about the words and the content of the song. And let me just say this. Singing is never this privatized little experience where you're in a bubble closing your eyes and, and like you're, you're clouding out the whole world. No, we're together singing congregationally as a way to worship God together as a unified family. And parents, you're modeling to your children what it means to worship together. So we sing the Bible. Okay, what else do we do? So we read the Bible, we sing the Bible, we pray the Bible. We pray the Bible. Isaiah 56, 7. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. This is a house of prayer. Hebrews four fifteen through 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And here's the point. Because Jesus is our Savior, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When we come together in this place and pray, we're joyfully and boldly drawing near to the throne of grace in prayer, knowing that God hears us. God is there for us. And as Mickey reminded us earlier in that great explanation of 1 John 5, 14-15, this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request we've asked of Him. We pray the Bible. We open the Scripture with prayer. We have a time of confession with prayer. I stand up and give a prayer before I preach, and I close the service with prayer. And we also have confession of sin. 1 John 1, 8-9, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, many churches suffer from a lack of prayer. You can go to a lot of worship services today in America, 
And maybe there's an opening prayer here or there, but there's not time and attention given to approaching the throne of grace and praying and confessing sin and seeking the face of the Lord. So we read the Bible, we sing the Bible, we pray the Bible, and we hear the preaching of the Bible. Martin Lloyd-Jones has widely said this, the primary task of the church and of the Christian minister is the preaching of the Word of God. The primary task of the church is the preaching of the Word of God. So everything that we do on a Sunday morning is important, but the most important thing we do is the preaching of God's Word. Singing is important. Praying is important. But the preaching of God's Word is when God comes to us through the mouth of a fallible preacher like myself and He delivers His message to us. And what does God do in preaching? Isaiah 55, 10-11, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my be- word that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose, and that shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word will not return void. It'll, it'll accomplish things in your life. Acts 20, 27, Paul said, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God's word. One of the things that we do at Emmanuel is we want to expose you to the whole counsel of God's word. We don't hold back. We don't pick and choose. The whole counsel. And then how are you saved? Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And then 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing as a kingdom, preach funny little stories about yourself. Preach what the people want to hear. No, what does it say there? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming. When people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. We don't want that happening here at Emmanuel. For you to wander off into myths and have your itching ears tickled, we want to preach the word. And how are you born again? 1 Peter 1.23, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. Now, we don't just preach for preaching's sake, but we preach Christ and Him crucified. 1 Corinthians 1, 22-24, For Jews demand signs, Greeks seeks wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. What else do we do? We see the Bible. Now, what do you mean by we see the Bible? What are baptism and Lord's Supper? They are visual reminders. They're visual signs that help us see the Bible in action. When somebody's baptized, what are they doing? They're in the waters of baptism. They're in the water of Jesus on the cross. They go under the water as Jesus being buried, and they come back up out of the water as the resurrection. So you're seeing the Bible and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus in baptism. When we take the Lord's Supper, you're seeing a red drink representing the blood of Christ, and you're seeing 
a wafer representing the body of Christ, you're, you're seeing the Bible in action. So the bottom line is that a worship service needs to be thoroughly biblical. So what do we do? We gather under the authority of the Bible. We read the Bible. We sing the Bible. We pray the Bible. We preach the Bible. And we see the Bible. And what does God do in that process? He strengthens your faith. He grows you. John 17, 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now, back to the pathway. Why is worshiping biblically first on the pathway? Because it's the most important. It's the most crucial aspect of your growth. It's where God sustains you, encourages you, and and, and grows you in the weekly gathering with other believers. And so you have to ask yourself a question. As far as worshiping biblically, do you make Sunday morning worship the highest priority of your week? Do you honor the Lord with your Sundays? Do you see worshiping biblically together with other believers as vital to your spiritual health? So here's here's the first part of the pathway. So what do we desire? On, On worship biblically, this is what it says on your sheet. You can get this out right there under worship biblically. A disciple, that means you. A disciple worships on Sundays by hearing expository preaching, Observing baptism and the Lord's Supper, confession of prayer, singing. I kind of got those out of order, but you understand what I mean. You're a worshiper. You're worshiping God in spirit and truth. You're worshiping biblically with other believers. Now, there's one thing I left off. Everything up to this point, we can quote-unquote control. We can read Scripture I can put the scriptures that we're supposed to read. I can preach the text. Doug can do the songs. The elders and deacons can lead the prayer. We can do all of that, but there's one thing that we can't control in a worship service, and that's what the Holy Spirit does, and that is your response. How do you respond? I can't manufacture it. I can't make you do anything. As you've been inundated with the scriptures and the power of the Spirit, we pray that the Holy Spirit does a work in your heart. It may be conviction. It may be repentance. It may be obedience. It may be a, a renewed commitment. But here's the point. You, if you're truly here for the right reasons, you cannot leave this place neutral or unaffected after the preaching of God's Word, after the singing of God's Word, after the reading of God's Word. Now, I know this is a lot of information we're communicating to you today about the discipleship pathway. And we're going to spend time over the next few weeks talking about it. But we wanted to start here because this is where the majority of people connected to Emmanuel Baptist Church come into the pathways through the worship service. This is our biggest group, our largest group. This is the open door to the church. And so what I'm asking for you today is I just want you to be open-minded about God's plan for your growth. And I just want to ask you one question. If you didn't didn't hear anything that I I said this morning, let me just ask you this one question. Are you growing and maturing in the way you want to or in the way that God has for you? Maybe you're stagnant. Maybe you don't really know. Are you content with where you are in your spiritual growth? Do you want to mature? Do you want to live as an obedient follower of Christ? Do you want to be part of a church that's faithful to the Bible? Are you willing to learn more about this discipleship pathway? 
and what it means. Are you willing to think about, okay, where am I on the pathway and what next step do I need to take? I know this is all new. I'm just asking you to have an open mind this morning. I'm just asking you to pray over the next few weeks for God to give you an open heart and give you an open mind of how you can learn about the pathway, how you can participate in the pathway, how you can be the disciple that God wants you to be. Where are you on the pathway and what step do you need to take? That, that's what we're going to talk about. But the most important thing is this. Are you growing in the way that you know you need to be growing? Are you at a level of maturity that you know you need to be? And I think all of us here would raise our hands and say, I'm not where God wants me to be. Anybody here arrived? If you're raising your hand, you break breaking one of those commandments called lying. <laughs> Anybody here, like at this expert level of spiritual growth where you can sit back and say, I've made it, and I'm looking back at everybody, come follow me. I'm not even there. Nobody's there. All of us have room to grow. And so what the pathway does is it says, listen, here's where I am. This is reality. Here's where God wants me to be. What next step can I take that's maybe a baby step to get on this pathway of growth? How can I personally grow to be what God wants me to be? And we want to help you in that. That's what the pathway helps you. We're helping facilitate, foster, give you a visual, help you understand how to do that. And so I'm just asking for you to be prayerful, open-hearted, open-minded over the next few weeks as we think about the discipleship pathway. So let me ask you to bow your heads this morning, and let's go to the Lord in a time of prayer, and let's just spend some time worshiping Him biblically as as we've thought about what we've done this morning being in his presence and would you just spend time in prayer asking the lord to give you an open heart towards your spiritual growth on this discipleship pathway father we come before you this morning and i know this has been a lot of information to take in but lord i guess the bottom line that we want to think about this morning under your lordship under your sovereignty is our own personal spiritual growth Are we maturing? Are we growing? How are we doing at making disciples? So Lord, bring conviction to our hearts and how we need to think about this. Lord, I pray that you give everyone here an open heart and open mind to help them understand just over the next few weeks what this looks like. Lord, help us to be clear in our communication. Lord, I'm thankful that we have a church family that gathers every Sunday for worship and Lord we want to be a people that worship biblically we want to come under the authority of your Bible we want to read your Bible we want to sing your Bible pray your Bible preach your Bible and see your Bible Lord Jesus we want to leave this place having been impacted by your word in our hearts and so Jesus thank you for everyone that's here this morning would you begin to work in their hearts and minds to give them just wisdom and insight into what next steps they need to take in their spiritual growth. And so, Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.